Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is part two, Legend Trippers, 13 of the world's scariest places. Here you'll find the kind of places that only the very brave can linger for long. There will be a few in the U.S. that we didn't cover in part one, but for the most part, this is an exploration of some of the world's scariest places worldwide, many of them in Europe. Buckle up. This is going to be a bumpy ride. We're taking you first to London, England. You are standing amongst a veritable city of concrete and stone crypts built during Victorian times. You feel the chill of a sinister and unsettling energy all around you. It's late afternoon, and even as the sun appears from behind a cluster of dark clouds, you notice that it barely lights the weed-overgrown path you're walking. These are old family crypts, appearing like old miniature bank buildings of solid stone, many with carvings, except the only deposits here were long ago made in the currency of wooden and stone coffins. You've paid your admission. The cemetery closes at 4 p.m., and your visit's coming to an end. It was in the 60s that stories of strange things happening in or near Highgate Cemetery in London began to circulate. For years, this 230-year-old burial ground had been plagued with a series of apparently inexplicable events and sightings in and around its confines. In 1967, two adolescent girls walking home along nearby Swains Lane claimed to have witnessed the dead rising from their graves by the cemetery's north gate. Another teenager had been awoken one night with something cold and clinging on her hand, which left prominent marks the next morning, while reports circulated of a tall man in a hat walking in the area before melting through the cemetery's walls. The stories took on a life of their own. On Friday morning, February 1970, the Hampstead and Highgate Express ran a headline calibrated to chill the blood of residents across suburban North London. The headline read, Does a Vampire Walk in Highgate? Sometime after this, a number of vampire hunters began to scale the walls of Highgate Cemetery with one purpose in mind, to drive a stake through the heart of a vampire rumored to be occupying a certain grave in Highgate. A letter had been sent recently to a local paper, which claimed that the cemetery was home to not only a vampire, but a group of Satanists, and this had touched off a community panic. Supposedly a vampire was occupying the crypt of a Romanian nobleman and practitioner of the Black Arts who was brought to England in a coffin and buried on the hillside at Highgate in the 18th century. Security has since been beefed up and visitors to Highgate are ushered out well before dark, but legend trippers have reported an eerie feeling there, a feeling that someone is watching their every step. There are approximately 170,000 people buried in around 53,000 graves across the West and East Cemeteries. Highgate Cemetery is notable both for some of the people buried there as well as for its de facto status as a nature reserve. We mentioned the appearance earlier. Footage of Highgate appears in numerous British horror films, including Taste the Blood of Dracula, 1970, Tales from the Crypt, 1972, and From Beyond the Grave in 1974. The more recent movie Hampstead, filmed in 2017, features a few scenes in the cemetery as well. For those of you who are gamers, Highgate Cemetery is the sixth level of the Nightmare Creatures game. Enjoy your visit, but don't linger too long. From London we take you to Italy and an island nature reserve across the lagoon from Venice called Lazaretto Nuovo, 
where the skeleton of a suspected vampire was unearthed from a mass grave in 2005. The shocking skeleton of an elderly woman was found with a brick pushed between its jaws, an old method of thwarting shroud-eating vampires. Shroud-eating vampires were a different sort. They weren't found biting necks. They stayed in their graves, according to old beliefs, as undead corpses, making chewing sounds and causing death and destruction from a distance. The island itself has a dark and grisly history, as many thousands died from the Black Plague there in the late 15th century. It was thought that the trade ships carried plague from the east, so the crews and passengers of all ships entering the harbor were quarantined on islands in the lagoon, one of those islands being Lazaretto Nuovo. As the number of stranded plague victims mounted, the islands became mass graveyards. Even today, the soil of these islands is full of human remains. Some people believed that vampires were the source of the plague, while others thought that the rotting corpses attracted vampires. Gravediggers, not familiar with the biological decomposition of corpses, were reopening plague pits to bury more bodies, and finding that the mouths of bodies they were uncovering were sometimes filled with what looked like fresh blood and body fluids. And this not only filled them with horror, but with the belief that those corpses had been feeding on fresher bodies. The shroud covering their face had also been torn away. Science would tell us, by bacteria, but to those gravediggers, they believed the hole in the shroud around the mouth indicated the actions of a vampire. So they began filling the jaws with bricks or stones to stop them from eating through their shrouds. Legend trippers, to get here, take the number 13 ferry, which runs from Venice's Fundamente Nove stop to the island of St. Erasmo. Ask to be let off at Lazaretto Nuovo, as the boat only stops there by request. If the boatman refuses, show some teeth, and that should do the trick. And if Vampire Island doesn't scare you, visit the remains of San Servolo Island's insane asylum, once known as the Island of the Mad. San Servolo was the official insane asylum for Venice, opening in 1725. In 1798, it began to accept women as well. Over 200,000 people were sent there, and most never left. San Servolo Island Insane Asylum is a museum today, and a very scary one as well. It's the number 20 boat stop. If you're chasing legends in the U.S., here's one for your next trip to Niagara Falls. The Legend of the Maid of the Mist. As the story goes, there was once a tribe called the Angieras who lived beside the Niagara River. Their people were dying for mysterious reasons, and their version of the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, met and decided that the only way to save the tribe was by appeasing the thunder god Hinum, who they believed to live behind the falls with his two sons. The tribe sent canoes with fruit and flowers behind the curtain of the falls, but still their people continued to fall sick. As an emergency measure, they decided on an annual campaign of sacrificing one of their most beautiful maidens, but death and disease continued to plague the tribe. One year, Lilawala, Chief Eagle-Eye's daughter, was chosen as a sacrifice. Wearing a wreath of white flowers, she stepped into a white birch-bark canoe and plunged over the falls to her death. As the legend goes, Hinam's sons caught Lilawala in their arms and both fell in love with her. She told them she would stay with the one who could tell her why her people were dying. The youngest of the two brothers told her of a giant snake that lived at the bottom of the river. Once a year, he said, the snake entered the village to poison the water and then eat the dead. Lelawala convinced the son to let her go back to the tribe in spirit form to tell them about the snake. She did so, 
"'and the next time the snake returned to the village, "'the natives attacked it. "'Nearly dead, the snake slid to the edge of the falls, "'but as it tried to escape, "'its head caught on one side of the river "'and its tail on the other, "'creating horseshoe falls. "'Meanwhile, Leilawala's spirit returned to the cave "'to be with her lover. "'She was known forever as the Maid of the Mist. "'The best time to see her, they say, "'is on a winter day from the U.S. side, "'just as the sun disappears from the horizon.' We'll return with the rest of our story right after these sponsor messages. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. And now, back to our story. Another famous site for legend trippers is Rennes-le-Chateau in Languedoc, France, a quiet village located on the edge of the French Pyrenees. The village, as well as the restored church there, which was given the name of the Church of St. Mary Magdalene in the late 19th century, is known for its mysteries and legends. The church shows that it could well have been an 11th century church, which was destroyed through the years. It was renovated by a man named Father Saunier, who invested more than 11,000 francs to have it renovated over a period of 10 years, from 1887 to 1897. That included the renovation of the church cemetery and the presbytery. Church fathers in those times, as well as today, didn't have large sums of money. As legend has it, Father Saunier discovered coated parchments concealed inside a pillar, and knowing he had something very rare, went to Paris, where he was put in touch with a young priest who had a knowledge of these types of mysteries, and who helped him unravel the code. On his return from Paris, Saunier began receiving large sums of money that may have been connected in some way to his discovery, money which he used to complete the renovation. He died in 1917, leaving the secret of his now considerable wealth with his housekeeper, Marie Durnaud. Marie said that she would reveal all on her deathbed, but she died suddenly of a stroke, and the secret died with her. Speculation has been rife ever since. Was it a lost treasure? Was the priest blackmailing the church with a terrible secret? Some say that Saunier discovered the treasure of the Knights Templar, or the Cathars, or of King Solomon's Temple. Others linked the parchments to the Holy Grail, saying that they revealed that Mary Magdalene was Jesus' wife and mother of his children, which would mean that his bloodline might possibly exist today, if that were true. There's one for Ancestry.com. By the way, this section of southern France was Cathar country. The Cathars were a medieval religious sect who were believed to have taught in secret that this theory was true, and for this they were hunted and persecuted to the point of extinction by the Catholic Church during the 14th century. Their demise gave rise to Dan Brown's idea for his bestseller book, The Da Vinci Code. It is said that Saunier's confession before his death so shocked the priest who heard it that he denied him his last rites. Adding to the mystery is a series of parchments found by his cleric in 1891, one of which reads, The treasure belongs to Dagobert II, king, and to Sion, S-I-O-N, and he is there dead. Dagobert was a 7th century Frankish king, but no one knew who Sion was. Could he have been found when Saunier renovated the cemetery? It's definitely worth a legend trip if you're ever in France. 
Pinterest calls our next story one of the most sinister places in the world. And maybe it is, because it is said that it was once cursed by a voodoo cult about 100 years ago, when they still rounded up those they thought to be guilty of witchcraft and put them in prison. It's called Manshack Swamp, and it's located near New Orleans, another city built upon old legends, and the locals call it the Swamp of the Ghosts. It's located in Ponchatoula, in St. John the Baptist Parish. There's a 22-mile-long bridge that spans the swamp, which is haunted with not only a Cajun werewolf, but a voodoo princess, and you can take a boat tour through the swamp at your own risk if you want to look for either of them. A young woman named Julie Brown was one of the most sought-out locals who lived near the swamp, feared by many for her association with voodoo, and sought out for spells and cures. She would often paddle her boat through the swamp along the trails of still black water, past mud flats, sunken tree stumps, and cypress logs draped in moss, through steamy air that was only slightly thinner than the water. The smell of rotted vegetation was a familiar smell, as well as the sudden whoosh caused by alligators who left their spots on the banks whenever she paddled by. She was well known at the local market where she sold her wares, and one day in 1915 she was heard singing about her imminent death. Those who could understand her were shocked by her singing, and more shocked when she sang that she would take the whole village with her. Soon after that day, the locals remember, she died a mysterious death, and on the day of her funeral, a violent hurricane roared through the town and the swamp, triggering a 30-foot tidal wave that killed most of the townspeople, many of whom were attending her funeral. Fearing the lingering curse of Julie Brown, the survivors buried Julie Brown later in a mass grave that has since been reclaimed by the swamp. It is said that she seeks new victims from among those brave souls who dare take a boat or kayak through the alligator-invested water in search of her hidden grave. You know you found it, they say, when you hear her singing her sad song. And by the way, Manchac Swamp Kayak Tours are a known provider for legend trippers. In New Hampshire, ghost hunters know the legend of Mercy Brown's spirit, which is said to still occupy the cemetery near the old Baptist church called Chestnut Hill Baptist. As the story goes, when the body of Mercy Brown was exhumed in the Rhode Island churchyard in 1802, those in attendance gasped in horror at the sight of a well-preserved corpse with fresh blood around its mouth. Although it was the beginning of a new century, and there were high hopes that humans would be moving soon into the Age of Enlightenment, in New England, old superstitions were dying hard and fear and ignorance still grabbed hold of otherwise intelligent people and turned them into raving lunatics. Mercy was a young girl who, along with her mother and older sister, had died of tuberculosis, leaving Mercy's father with just one surviving family member, his son Edwin. When Edwin became sick, neighbors convinced George Brown that the cause of Edwin's illness was vampirism, and they persuaded him to have the bodies of his wife and daughters exhumed. When the coffins were opened, witnesses found that Brown's wife and eldest daughter had undergone significant decomposition, but the recently buried body of Mercy was unchanged, which to the ignorant onlookers suggested vampirism. They never considered the fact that she'd been buried just before the past winter, and the freezing ground had no doubt prevented any fast decomposition. They removed Mercy's heart from her body and burned it on a flat stone not far from her grave. Her ashes were mixed with water and given to her sick brother to drink. But that failed to cure him, and within two months, he was dead. The small church and the stone where Mercy's heart was burned are still standing. Some have said that if you stand at night a little way from her grave, 
"'you can see Mercy taking a ghostly stroll to the graveyard. "'Others say that if you knock three times on the gravestone "'and ask, "'Mercy Brown, are you still a vampire? "'Her spirit will speak to you or appear. "'Still others say that when you mess with the dead, "'you may end up being haunted for the rest of your life.'" Many of our fans know that I'm a big fan of Captain John Smith, the first explorer of the Chesapeake Bay, and hero for a short while of the first permanent English settlement in the New World, that being Jamestown. We have his story in multiple chapters available at 1001 Stories for the Road, and if you've never heard it, you really should give it a try. He was forced to return to England after receiving a bad powder burn on his leg. He was able to receive medical treatment in England, where he wrote a famous account of his times at Jamestown called a general history, based on his original notes, which is also fascinating reading, once you get used to the difference in dialect from today's English. What few people know is that he died with very little money and no known family. No one knows what happened to his belongings, which no doubt included his notes and unfinished manuscripts, as well as his mementos from his numerous adventures. I've always imagined a beginning to a great story, which would feature a young married couple shopping for antiques on Portobello Road and buying an old trunk, thinking it would make a nice accessory for their new home. While cleaning up the trunk, they find that it has a false bottom, and in that false bottom are Captain John Smith's personal memoirs and keepsakes, each of which tell a story. Maybe one of you can pick up on that idea, and all I ask is that you mention me in the credits. I am much too busy and happily occupied with my podcast to write a book. John Smith was associated, at the time of his death, with St. Sepulchre Without, meaning outside of Newgate, so St. Sepulchre without Newgate, which is known today as Holy Sepulchre, London. It's the largest Anglican parish in the city of London and stands on the north side of Holborn Viaduct across from the Old Bailey, and its parish takes in the Smithfield Market, that name being attributed to Captain John Smith. What very few people know is that his gravesite is unknown due to that part of the graveyard being subjected to a direct hit from a German bomb during the Battle of Britain, which destroyed many gravestones there, including his. If I ever get a chance to visit London, I would like to stop there to pay my respects, although I can easily imagine that those restless souls are still seeking their proper resting place. Whether or not ghosts have been reported there, I have not heard, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least. Not too far from Holy Sepulchre, London, stands the Tower of London, which, by the way, Captain Smith visited shortly before his journey to Jamestown to pillage for breastplates and weapons and pikes and a small cannon he wanted for Jamestown's defense. The Tower of London is said to be heavily haunted, with a host of restless souls wandering its many turrets and chambers. Tears are said to stream down Lord Guilford Dudley's face as he haunts the Beauchamp Tower, reliving his final moments before facing the executioner in 1554. Sir Walter Raleigh, who knew Captain Smith well, by the way, was imprisoned three separate times in the Tower of London, after managing to displease the Queen, and later her successor, James I, who charged Sir Walter with treason, and had him executed outside the Palace of Westminster in 1618. Following Lord Guilford Dudley's execution was Lady Jane Grey, who has been seen kneeling beside a wall on Tower Green, just as she did on the scaffold when facing her own execution moments after Dudley's. She is known as the Nine Days Queen, which was all she was allowed before bloody British politics and enmities found a way to dispose of her. Britain was a bloody place for many years. Even more grisly than the beheading of Lady Jane Grey was the killing of Margaret Pole in 1581, her only crime being 
that her brother had denounced Henry VIII's claim as the supreme head of the Church of England, a move which he made in order to steal all the wealth and land from the Church, which he thought it amassed too much, and would look good in his vaults. Thus began his murder of all Church officials and the stealing of their property. People make a big deal about Hitler and other 20th century monsters today, but some of these English kings belong in the same category. Margaret Pohl didn't go easily to the chopping block. She spat at the executioner and ran across the green screaming until the axe man caught up with her and hacked her to death. Her ghost can still be seen running screaming across the green, people say. Henry VIII's second wife, Anne Boleyn, also got the axe. She was accused of witchcraft, and her orb, or spiritual footprint, is reputed to be as vibrant and mesmerizing as the young queen was in life. It is said to wander among the towers, seeking redemption. In the Wakefield Tower, the phantom of Henry VI reportedly paces back and forth. Some believe he was murdered by the Duke of Gloucester on May 21, 1471. His unhappy ghost can be seen as the clock on the wall there ticks toward 12 p.m. on that fateful day. Then it fades back into the stone walls for another year. Then there were the princes in the tower, now called Bloody Tower, which is said to be haunted by two children dressed in nightgowns who clutch each other in terror. They are known as the two princes, the sons of Edward IV. When Edward died in 1483, his twelve-year-old son, Prince Edward, was destined to succeed him. Before the coronation could take place, however, Edward and his nine-year-old brother Richard were declared illegitimate by Parliament, and their uncle, the Duke of Gloucester, ascended the throne as Richard III. The boys were staying at the Tower of London in preparation for the boys' coronation, and were often seen playing on the grounds. Two months later, they mysteriously vanished, many believing that Richard III ordered them murdered. Two skeletons discovered under a staircase in Bloody Tower in 1674 are still thought to be their remains. They were reburied at Westminster Abbey. Some legend trippers say you haven't lived until you've petted a crocodile in Bacal Crocodile Pool in Gambia, also called the Katsikali Crocodile Pool. Its muddy healing waters are said to, well, heal you. Legend has it that a palm tree tapper discovered the sacred crocodile pool about 100 years ago when he stopped to rest for the night. Fearing the crocodiles, he spent the night in a tree. In the morning, he slowly came down from the tree, grabbed his belongings, and more slowly crept away, looking all around for crocodiles and ready to bolt if one approached him. But all they did was blink their eyes at him as some of them slithered right past him and into the water, seeming to totally disregard him. It was a sign, he thought, that the pool was blessed. The Bojang family members tend the pool today, although they are not allowed to profit from it in any way. Infertile women come from miles away to bathe in its waters. The crocodiles are so tame that they reportedly allow people to pet them, although why anyone would want to pet a crocodile is beyond me. While the crocodiles lie sleeping, the Bojang attendants perform ritual washings for the pregnant women. After bathing and praying, the women are given a bottle of water from the pool to pour over their body before going to bed. In return, visitors offer small donations and a cola nut. The money is shared among the village elders, and the cola nuts are thrown into the pool to appease the crocodiles and prolong the healing powers of the pool. If you're wondering what these crocs eat, it's not tourists. It's bullfrogs, big ones, who thrive on the floating water cabbage plants that populate the pond. There is a museum there that includes some interesting displays as well as some information on Gambia's involvement in World War II. 
"'Try to avoid July through September, "'as these are the rainy months with lots of mosquitoes. "'And if the crocs don't get you, malaria might.' "'Jamaica is a well-known vacation spot, "'and also home to what was once a haunted plantation house, "'and may still be, its name being Rose Hall. "'In Season 2, Episode 3 of the TV show "'Scariest Places on Earth, Rose Hall was featured, "'although you have to picture it before it was purchased "'and remodeled as an upscale hotel and wedding destination. "'But what a history! "'The place is steeped in stories of witchcraft, "'a deadly curse, and multiple murders, "'and there's a grave to go with it. "'containing the, some say, unsettled corpse of Annie Palmer, "'who is best known for murdering any slaves, lovers, or suitors "'who displeased her during her crazy reign of the plantation. "'Here's the story. "'Annie Palmer was born in Haiti of an English mother, "'but raised by an old Creole nurse "'who taught her witchcraft and voodoo. "'Upon reaching adulthood, Annie moved to Jamaica "'and married John Palmer, the owner of Rose Hall Plantation. "'Within months of her marriage, Annie started taking slaves to bed. One day her husband caught her with the lover and beat her with a riding crop. In revenge, she murdered him by poisoning his coffee. She then inherited Rose Hall, and her reign of terror began. It was said that she murdered any slaves, lovers, or suitors who displeased her. Her cruel behavior, coupled with rumors that she dabbled in voodoo, earned her the name the White Witch of Rose Hall. Her murders were piling up when she overstepped her bounds and placed a curse on Millicent, the granddaughter of a local witch doctor, and she soon learned that you can't outwitch a hometown witch. At the time, Annie was trying to earn the love of an English bookkeeper named Robert Rutherford, not to be confused with Robert Redford, who loved Millicent. Annie cursed Millicent with a withering disease, and when Millicent and the locals, and there's a name for a 50s rock band, found out, they ganged up on Annie and strangled her. Annie and her possessions were buried on Rose Hall Estate, and according to local legend, a voodoo ritual was performed to, quote, lay her ghost, meaning to make sure it would never rise again. But they must have messed up a chant, because Annie's demonic spirit has haunted the estate for hundreds of years. In fact, she must have put a curse on the place, because every owner after her suffered loss and death for centuries. Country singer Johnny Cash even recorded a song about her, He had purchased the nearby Cinnamon Hill Great House and had heard of her legend. Whether or not any portion of her legend is true is open to question. But it's a good one. Last but not least, of these first 13, there's Brand Castle in Transylvania, the one-time home of the bloody tyrant Vlad the Impaler. And if ever there was a castle filled with evil spirits, this is the one. If looks and setting alone could kill, you'd never make it through the front door. With its Gothic towers and hundreds of passageways, Brand Castle is imposing and eerie to say the least. Once the home of Vlad the Impaler, a descendant of the House of Dracula, this castle was the real-life inspiration for Bram Stoker's terrifying novel, Dracula. The medieval ruler of the ancient region of Wallachia, Vlad used the castle as a base for his constant war against the encroaching Ottoman Empire as Muslim power spread across Europe. A tyrannical ruler he was allegedly responsible for up to 80,000 deaths of not only men, but women and children as well. One of his favorite methods of execution was to drop prisoners from the castle's turrets, impaling them on sharp stakes below. It is said that the Turkish army fled when they encountered a forest of rotting corpses impaled on stakes beside the Danube. Around Vlad, no one was safe. There were thieves, innocent noblemen accused by Vlad of treachery, or priests he deemed to be corrupt. 
"'Some say Vlad drank the blood of the dying and the dead at times. "'And the castle authority created an art museum "'to display the paintings and furniture of Queen Marie of Romania. "'But even then you couldn't help but getting the feeling "'that something evil lurks in the labyrinth of passages "'and around the grounds surrounding the castle. "'The website still contains a strict warning "'that they will only allow people protected by vaccination. "'Unvaccinated people who show up at the entrance "'or try to sneak into the exits.' are chased into the woods by a mob carrying torches, and if you are caught, it is said that men in full hazmat suits will carry you up to the turrets and drop you off. All tongue-in-cheek, of course. However, the lead page to the website does warn that all visitors must be vaccinated, and the entire page is dedicated to the details surrounding that. I thought America was bad with all its mandates and restrictions, which didn't end after COVID morphed into the basically harmless Omicron variant, but apparently Europe took it even harder. And fear and superstition still run rampant in many parts of Europe and America, where even children and people with natural immunity who have not been vaxxed and boosted are still suspected of being potential killers by those in charge. Legend trippers can study brand-castle.com for video tours and an excellent preview of all they've opened up for visiting lately. And it's much more than an art museum. In 2017, they built a time tunnel which sends you down a deep shaft via a modern elevator where you're treated to a multimedia show which describes the history and culture of the Brand Castle and then exits you near the bottom of the hill that the castle is built upon. Meanwhile, on the fourth floor of the castle, you're invited to face your fears as you enter what Roman mythology calls the Realm of Fear. You'll be surrounded by night and darkness and taking a deep dive into the history of local myths and fears. Are werewolves real? Are vampires real? Do you have the courage to discover the Deadly Seven? This section was added in 2020. As it turned out, the Turks finally caught up with Vlad the Impaler in 1476, and as legend has it, Vlad was butchered and decapitated by treacherous nobles who no doubt had lost a number of their own to Vlad and wanted revenge. They, in turn, sent Vlad's head encased in honey to Istanbul, where the Ottoman Sultan displayed it on a stake to prove that Vlad the Impaler was dead. He was supposedly buried in a tomb on a tiny island in Snegov Lake in Romania, at Snagov Monastery. An excavation of the tomb in 1931 left us with two different reports. One, that the tomb was empty, and two, that they found a richly dressed, decapitated body. If you make it to that tomb, don't go at night. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. We appreciate your listening to us here and sharing our show with others. Don't forget we have other good podcasts to enjoy. 1001 Stories for the Road, where we do our long-format adventure stories, like Treasure Island, and currently The War of the Worlds, chapter by chapter. And 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, where we do classic short stories from all kinds of great writers, like Jack London, Edith Wharton, Mark Twain, and many, many others. And 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories and the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which has been booming for the past year as more and more people discover it. Then there's 1001 Greatest Love Stories, where we're now nearing the end of the tremendous adventure story by H. Ryder Haggard called Marie. Then there's 1001 Radio Days. You can listen to old-time radio shows, mostly detective shows, like Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, and Tales of the Texas Rangers. 1001 Stories Network offers a great variety of all-family shows, and if you want to hear them all at one place, you can always check out our website at 1001storiespodcast.com. We'll return next Sunday night. Until then, everyone, stay safe 
and we'll be back soon.